Admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone Just a matter of time, I suppose. Welcome to Watchmen Minute, where we take a look at the director's cut of Zack Snyder's Watchmen one minute at a time. My name is Travis Bowe from the Real Comic Heroes podcast. And I'm Eric Nash. And I'm George Hendricks from the Mogwai Minute. Welcome, George. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Hey, I'm glad to be here. I love this movie. This is a, this is a treat. Good. So Minute 11 starts with Neil Armstrong being watched on the moon and ends with a guy tagging a store window with Who Watches the Watchmen? You have to kind of wonder if the guy landing on the moon was like, Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> hey, you're here. This Okay, yeah, that's not, a, that's not expected at all. Hey, you're blue naked guy with the camera. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hope you got my good side. <laughs> yeah, I like to think that Dr. Manhattan is on the moon because he just wants to bear witness to like, human ingenuity and determination, which, you know, led to a man being on the moon. And I, I don't get the sense that he's had a hand in, in this achievement. I, I kind of feel that at his point, um, space travel, at least like I don't know, getting out of the orbit, is probably beneath him. He's like, yeah. I can just go there, whatever. It's like he can go to Mars. He can do whatever he wants. He's like, yeah, yeah that's cute. Um, you guys are. It's kind of like baby pictures. He's like, oh, first steps. That's so <laughs> yeah, cute. Yeah, yeah. Which actually, kind of, he's got a camera there. Maybe that is his mentality. He's like, oh, I want to get the, the the humanity's first baby step to like a place bigger than them. <laughs> when you mentioned he's holding the camera, and that's. Uh... That, to me, kind of alludes to the old fake moon landing talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, because like, like, they did a pretty good job of recreating the moon landing in this. It's like, yeah, I, I believe that we did land on the moon in 69, oh, yeah. but I, I have talked to quite a few other people that question it. Yeah. <laughs> Both the timing and all sorts of things. Like, well, it's just, it was just too convenient. It was too convenient. Yeah, I've seen yeah. convincing things on both sides, and I... I also believe that we went to the moon but um the big i think it was like in the late 90s or early 2000s i remember them putting out some kind of video or some special that was debunking it and everything and they they had very convincing material but then they did a mythbusters about it right and mythbusters said it was perfectly plausible that they it was like it wasn't at that time it wasn't really capable of manufacturing the kind of things that you had to manufacture to make it look realistic yeah yeah and then i i i sort of have the opinion that there's it's just too big of a secret for that many people to keep for that long i just i just don't think it would have stayed it would have come out in the 80s or the 90s and like oh god moon landing a hoax and then (laughs) you know sort of thing yeah yeah and so there is uh, the the name tag on the spacesuit with Armstrong written on it. So nothing, nothing alter, alternate uh, history wise has changed there. <laughs> no, and I love that about this movie the fact that it's so closely intertwined with American history. It's 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 not like an alternate universe. It's just you know it's just, just like a slightly. slight parallel, slight parallel. Yeah. And since we're coming here on the tail end of these, uh, the the um the opening credits, I just have to say that this is my favorite opening credit sequence in any movie ever. Yeah, it's pretty solid. It's like I can't think of another opening credit sequence that does such a good job of integrating backstory, current times, progressing a story, and then doing it in such a fun and stylized manner. Yeah, and it's nice that they pull some, you know 
tangential references from the book um, mixed into the opening credit sequences, you know, images and vignettes that we see. But a lot of it kind of feels um, wholly created for the film, and but it but it still feels like it's set in that same um, Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, Watchmen universe. Like it doesn't seem like they did anything crazy. Yeah, um, that wouldn't have taken place. Um, it's just all they're doing is giving you context. Yeah, all, it's it, just context and yeah. backstory. It's just all, all the, the ex- exposition without having to spend an hour of screen time doing it. Well, yeah, and and, and context is exactly what is, is this is being pulled from from the book. All the what what's called sometimes called back matter. I forget if that's what what the editor of the book, Len Wein, actually called it or not, or anyone else related. But all the uh, extra extra things they did instead of a um what's called the um oh um, letter hacks you know instead of letter hacks they decided on not, not doing that at one point and instead did this other extra contextual stuff and that's what this is all, all these credits almost all of them i think are just being expanded upon uh from from what from the from the texts and so forth that were in those more prose like pieces yeah, and also when I was in school for photography, we we actually sat down and like dissected this opening credit oh, sequence wow. for for the context of conveying as much information as possible using what are basically still frames. I mean, they do have slight motion to them, but that's really just to keep it from being a full still frame. But they really are just these vignettes, and and they just give enough mov- movement to to give you direction. From which this is like it's like a starting point and a finishing point, without you know having to go like yards and yards and yards to convey information. They just give you a nudge, and it's just uh, like I remember the first time I saw this movie, and I was just like I was taken. I was in the theater, and I was like I want to watch that again, but I was like I couldn't do it. I was like I would just keep back, and so when I finally got it on DVD, I would just, I watched the credit sequence like twenty times in a row just <laughs> to kind of watch the way it flowed. Yeah. I think I've watched it twenty times in a row. Yeah, <laughs> past week or two. Um, and 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 I think uh, the the one thing that's that's said here, the good luck, Mister Gorski. There's more that I'll go on in a second if you don't mind. But uh, what I'd really want to put across is is that it's really interesting. I think that this is the only uh, spoken stuff in all this uh, opening credits. Yeah, I think so. Everything else it's, is it's yeah. very silent. Otherwise, there's um, a as far few as other lines, um, but yeah, well, there's like the guy in the crowd. He says, you know, and they're like yelling. The, 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 anytime yeah. there's a scene, like you know, the the riot and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that that's not that's true. But it's more like ambient. It's not really like a specifically mm-hmm. for a reason. It's not telling you something. It's just giving you a little flavor. Yeah, we're just so used to being spoon fed information that when it does something like this, where it really makes you follow what they're doing with your own intellect rather than just being just here here's here's information go yeah yeah that it's uh it, it's so much more compelling and that's why it's one of those things that's just stuck with me ever since i saw this movie so so the line good luck mr gorski i said back i think in the uh first very first minute because of uh the actor who played john mclaughlin uh uh named gary houston he was in George, if you don't know this, he was in a uh, a movie titled "Good Luck, Mr. Gorski," no. and he was Mr. Gorski. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a real line that Armstrong spoke. Interesting. See, and I read something yeah. about the. Did you have more about the "Good Luck, Mr. Gorski"? Like where 
the urban legend around that phrase or not not actually noted here no. okay um, I've, I've heard some of it at least but, yeah. yeah so i've i read that it was it's not what he actually said but it was supposed <laughs> to be an urban legend that um, when armstrong was a kid he and his uh or yeah. when he was a kid the wife of his neighbor named gorski um he was like playing baseball or something and you know, went to pick up the ball and it was like under their bedroom window and he overheard the the wife saying, you know, I'll I'll perform oral sex on you when the kid next door walks on the moon. And then, <laughs> you know, decades later, he's walking on the moon and says, good luck, Mr. Gorski. And <laughs> in an interview in 1995, Armstrong said he first heard the story in California when comedian Buddy Hackett told it as a joke. <laughs> so who knows if it really took place? I mean, it's one of those, uh, according to Snopes, it's false. Um, I did look it up there. I don't know, you know. Make it what you will. I mean, definitely seems to be like urban legendy, like a yeah. little too, little too perfect, little too perfect that the neighbor would say, "Yeah, when that guy walks on the moon, and he turns to turns out to be the guy that walks on the moon." That's a little convenient. So, um, I like that the uh, the open the, the actual credits since we're in the credits, you know, sequence we actually see the credits, and I like the effect of it being reflected on the, uh, um, I don't know what the technical term is for... The, the visor? The visor, sure. <laughs> um, we got uh, Lawrence Gordon, produced uh-huh. producer Lawrence Gordon, uh, Lloyd Levin, and Deborah Snyder. And uh, Lawrence Gordon was born in 1936, which makes him 81 years old today, and he's still actively producing, which is, you know, pretty impressive. Me? Hey. He was gonna write uh, checks and yell at people. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, president of 20th Century Fox from 1984 to 86, and he was the uh, producer on quite a f- quite a few good movies like uh, Predator One and Two, Die Hard One and Two, uh, Field of Dreams, The Rock- Rocketeer, Waterworld, Boogie Nights, and then all of the uh, Hellboy live action and animated movies. So. Yeah, I don't know what his involvement was on in all those. May have just been writing checks and yelling at people, but you know, <laughs> he's backed some pretty decent projects. So um, then we've got Lloyd Levin, who actually worked on that same list of movies with Lawrence Gordon. So I thought maybe the two were like working partners, or you know, in some in some way, you know, connected. But I can't find anything to indicate that they actually worked together for. The same production company. I, I don't know what they're. Maybe they were just friends, and they both, you know, wanted to do the same projects. So, not really sure. But uh, and then the last uh, producer we have listed is Deborah Snyder, co-founder of Cruel and Unusual Films, alongside her husband, director Zack Snyder. Um, oh, she's Zach. been, <laughs> yeah, uh, she's been a producer on all of his films. Um, as well as Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, the Justice League, and Aquaman for the DC Extended Universe or Cinematic Universe, whatever you want to call it, they they met on a like commercial shoot back in like 2004. So, oh, okay. And they do have at least uh, at least why well, I, I know <laughs> because of, of an upcoming uh, uh, one of the credits uh, scenes. 
they have at least one child and actually the other child that I was aware of I thought she was adopted and and I'll, I'll say this now and uh, the unfortunate thing happening uh, recently with the uh, Justice League movie that just came out that uh, Zack Snyder himself stepped down because of uh, a suicide by that. Yeah. Yeah. His daughter, yeah. Adopted daughter, I'm pretty sure. I wasn't sure if she was adopted or from a previous marriage or I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. As problematic as his uh, his input in the DC world was, it's definitely not a reason you want somebody to leave a project. No, no. no. So, uh, let's see. Do you guys have anything else on the the moon landing or any of that uh, vignette? I think we're good on that vignette, yes. And the next one involves uh, a a gentleman in a interesting, cost, interesting <laughs> costume, if you ask me. It's always uh, taken me by surprise whether it was in the co- comics or not. Uh, do we want to say? Do we want to say his code name, his hero name, or his? <laughs> I think I I tend to think of them in at least in this the credit sequence. I tend to think of them as their code names, their their hero identity, since that's what we see them presented as. So yeah, it's sort of giving you the rise and fall of them as heroes, yeah. and not heroes in general. So yeah, they they're being portrayed as specifically their their alter egos yeah. rather than their their real selves. Yeah, and this this is definitely one that crosses back and forth, and what we learn about about how uh, how he's known to the general public. One of those interesting uh, that that uh, he's uh, he's outed himself in a, in, in a sense. Uh, yeah, Oz, Ozymandias is the hero name. Yeah, and he's standing outside of uh, the famous Studio Fifty Four in New York. So uh, yeah. Yeah, when I was first watching this, I was like, are these people dressed up as Bowie and Jagger? I'm like, no, no, I guess he's just supposed to actually be Bowie and yeah, Jagger. Yeah. But I kind of wonder, is, like, is it because he's so like famous that David Bowie is dressed up as Ziggy Stardust just chilling on a car waiting on this guy to go in? Is that is that how big he is? Or, or I mean, that's what made me think it was like a like a like a cosplay type thing because okay, yeah. I didn't feel like they would just be chilling on a car if he was like they would be in the club already and he would meet them there right like in full costume and, and everything yeah. it's it's kind of what I, I I tend to interpret these the opening credit sequence I tend to think of them as being slightly heightened reality mm-hmm. yeah um so I I believe that you know Ozymandias is the type that would go to Studio 54 and would you know interact with these celebrities but i think because we're being it's being presented as this credit sequence i think they heighten it by showing you know Bowie in his uh um is he in Ziggy Stardust mode is that what, I think what? it's Aladdin Sane is it okay i think and and that's the that's the better time period okay. of the of the mid to late seventies versus the early seventies when okay. he was in that other persona yeah so you okay so you've got him dressed you know in the full you know get up and then to the right of the screen you've got the village people and they're basically in costume yeah um so I, I tend to think of this as is like I said just heightened reality like. We're being shown that these guys are all in costume, but probably in reality, no, they wouldn't be in costume. Um, that's just how I kind of interpret it. So it to make it um, like that was the decision to show it that way 
so that it comes across, you know, and is no, obvious. No, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. It's just, it was just like from a perspective of just, would he yeah. really do that type thing? <laughs> it, it didn't make sense. But then, of course, obviously, if it's exclusively, it, it, if it's telling a narrative, then yeah. it would be much more, you know, it's it's more symbolic than it is, you know, literal. Yeah. And on the other hand, I, I could imagine, you know, Bowie and Jagger and the village people showing up in full uh, regalia, you know, for this... Uh, club where you know the hottest club apparently in in the in the seventies here and and everything so yeah I but still thought Jagger was Joan Jett when I first saw her because <laughs> it just like the long shaggy dark yeah, hair it's like is yeah. that Joan nope that's a dude that's a dude that's great it's funny when I see Bowie here um all I see is Dennis from it's always sunny in Philadelphia because <laughs> I mean the guy p- portraying Bowie looks like Dennis he does from Sonny portraying, you know, his he's the, he's the his day man. alter ego, day man, you know. <laughs> so, um, well, and, and the people actually portraying Bowie, the person portraying Bowie is J.R. Killigrew. Okay. And he had several other credits while the person portraying Jagger, Stephen Stojkovic, Stojkovic. <laughs> um, and this is his only credit. Oh, okay. So they just grabbed someone that they thought. Maybe had the lips to <laughs> <laughs> from a distance, kind of look like it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I did a little bit of just you know surface level research on Studio Fifty Four, and because uh, all I really know about it is its reputation, you know, as being this you know famous club from the seventies, and and seeing a trailer for the Fifty Four movie back in like ninety eight or whenever that movie came out, so. But I did read the, about some of the clientele who would frequent the club, including, you know, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Village People. They were listed as regulars, um, as well as people like Elton John, Al Pacino, Donald Trump, uh, Jackie Kennedy Onassis. So kind of ran the, the, the spectrum of, of who would be there. And Mike Myers was big into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch that movie? I never, I never did. No, no. I, I just couldn't get the idea of Mike Myers trying to be serious. And I was like, mm, <laughs> yeah, no, nope, nope, it's just not for me. And so the, uh, the text that's on the uh, screen during this, this vignette is uh, based on the graphic novel co-created and illustrated by Dave Gibbons and published by DC comics with yeah. no mention of Alan Moore. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. That is. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. Some stupid legalese thing, you know. Everyone knows that you know he and him did it together, but yeah. <clears throat> guys, have ever uh, not not to plug another podcast, but if you ever want to know a lot about Alan Moore in a short amount of time, listen to Wizard and the Bruiser. Okay. They 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 take a topic and do like a deep history dive on the specific topic, and they've done Alan Moore and like the first episode was Sonic the Hedgehog, and they do video games and comic properties and movies and that sort of thing. But they have a very fascinating. I think it's even a two parter on Alan Moore, okay. which is really really interesting if you're if you're into that sort of stuff, which I think you guys would be. Absolutely, right. yeah. I'm writing that down right now. So, yep. Wizard and the Bruiser. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So shout out to Wizard and the Bruiser. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, and, and probably most of our listeners are. You know, at least aware that uh, of of who Alan Moore is, but I think we can go through it quickly with, just by saying that he's, you know, the comic book version of Aleister Crowley. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, actually, I think later on, 
in the in the week I'll have a note about Alistair Crowley. There um, you go. Full circle. Yeah, but Alan Moore, obviously, you know, the writer of this and many other comic book stories, has gone on record numerous times saying that uh, you know he doesn't believe his his stories should be filmed or they weren't written to be filmed. They were written to be comics. And like, I have a quote from from him saying that I wanted to show off just what the possibilities of the comic book medium were. And films are completely different. Um, and then later on he would say, if we only see comics in relation to movies, then the best they will ever be is films that do not move. I found it in the mid-80s preferable to concentrate on those things that only comics could achieve. The way in which a tremendous amount of information could be included visually in every panel, the ju juxtapositions between what a character was saying and what the image that the reader was looking at would be. So, in a sense, most of my work from the 80s onwards was designed to be unfilmable. So, yeah, Alan Moore, not a fan of uh, Hollywood and, uh, or at least comic book adaptations or movie adaptations of his comics, so... Well, yeah, and I was going to bring up that word that you just used, adaptation. Okay. And and apparently it seems like he doesn't understand the idea that things can be the one thing and they can be adapted. Well, he's sure. also a but crazy they, old they man. They might be able to be adapted. <laughs> he is He is definitely uh, on the other side of the, the sanity scale as far oh, as... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's brilliant, like absolutely brilliant, but he is a, he is a nutcase in, a, in, the, in the most insane way of the word. It's just, it's crazy. He's great, though, but... So, but I can see how he'd be very fixated on his ideas of like, this is how it should be. I wrote it like this. This is how it should be. But also, I mean, you produce something in the world, you create it. It's it's up for interpretation by anyone who is is willing to make the leap. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where the Watchmen could not have been made before the time when it was made because it just wasn't possible. That wizard's just a crazy old hermit. He is. It was it was pulling Terry Gilliam's hair out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was trying to figure out how to do it. So, anything else on that on that vignette? Um, I don't have anything else 54. on the uh, Studio Fifty Four. We want to move on to the the pose. You know the the group photo. Yeah, one one of at least uh, two or three, I guess. I think. Yeah, group yeah. photos of different. Uh, Different uh, here Config hero configurations, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we've got from left to right. I'm just going to go through the the lineup here. We've got the comedian. Um, we've got Silk Spectre, or I should say Sp Silk Spectre Two, Doctor Manhattan, Ozymandias, Night Owl, and Rorschach. Yeah, is, is it is it Silk Spectre Two or is it Silk Silk Spectre the Second? Because hmm. that's a that's always a weird thing that uh, yeah that that you'd go around calling yourself that or other people would call you that. I think I think I think in the superhero world it would be two rather than the second because it's not like it's a name lineage; it's a personality. Yeah. It's a personal personality lineage, legacy character. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or I guess I mean even I I should have said Night Owl the second or Night Owl two yeah. because you know obviously he's the another legacy character here in in the movie. But uh, I, I imagine they would just go by. Silk Spectre and Night Owl. You know, if they've been handed down the the mantle, then they've gotten you know the blessing of the original. So it's not like they are uh, an imposter or yeah, 
you know. So or I they're going to they they're they're just... encounter each other. They yeah, had a successor. Yeah. To, yeah, it's not like someone's like bogarting their look or copyright right. infringement. They were they were chosen as successor. It's a... Yeah. Hmm. So I found it interesting. There's the framed photos on the wall behind them of those <laughs> earlier heroes, the Minutemen, as well as the USA flag in the middle. Yeah. And I counted, uh, just based on the the rows and, and columns of stars, the flag has 48 stars. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely uh, probably been hanging up in this uh, clubhouse or, or you know whatever this uh, location is for a while. So, Well, no one's taking the time to change it because this is... This, this is later yeah even by the, by the previous vignette that's 254 that's late 70s and yeah you know, it's the, the next one i think is even early 80s get a little head but um well it's so the last one right before the opening which starts in 85 so that would make sense if you're leapfrogging mm-hmm. every couple of years and and night owl is the one that's actually doing the uh, work uh yeah he kind of is the most uh mechanical savvy yeah it would make sense that he'd be the, the one the with camera. the uh yeah and I like that there's a bit of uncomfortableness, you know, with this group photo, but everyone actually kind of looks pleased to be there. Like even Dr. Manhattan is kind of smiling and, and, uh, comedian is all grins. Um, but then you've got Rorschach on one end and, and he obviously looks the most out of yeah. place, um, which is odd considering you've got a glowing blue man in the center of the, of the image, but it's Rorschach that just really, um, stands out, I think. And, you know, so he's distancing himself a little bit further away, um, over there near night owl, but, um, he goes with it, you know, he's, he's playing along at least. I think this is, yeah, before he gets a little more severe. So we'll get, we'll get into that much later though. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the text that is displayed on the, the the graphics is a screenplay by David Hader and Alex C say, Anyone? Anyone? I think I think say. Yeah, say. Um, yeah, T S E. Yeah, yeah, and uh, David Hader is. Uh, I mean, he's done a lot, but as far as screenplays go, he did X Men, X Men Two, and Watchmen, as well as you know, handful of other movies. And then I found out he's also an actor and especially a voice actor. Um, he's provided the voice of uh, Solid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid <laughs> franchise, like really, like from the get go, apparently. And then he's voiced Captain America a few times in like the old Spider-Man cartoon and one other, maybe a video game or something. And then uh, various Jedi Knights in the Star Wars, uh, the Old Republic games. So I don't know. Just one of those guys that I guess likes to do a couple different things and and yeah yeah he's yeah. bored he's bored doing one thing all the time so mix it <laughs> yeah. up a little bit yeah and then we've got Alex Say who wrote screenplay obviously for for Watchmen and he also did the Tales from the Black Freighter animated movie um, he's done like fairly recently the screenplay for the upcoming Crow reboot with Jason Momoa and then. A handful of other things, like a, a, I think it's it's. I get the sense based on his uh, Wikipedia entry that he probably works on a lot more things that ever than actually get developed. So he's probably written a lot of screenplays, but they don't make it to, you know, production status or development status. So they're not. There's not like a list of them on IMDb that I could, you know, find. So, but he's uh-huh. probably. 
um, done a lot more because I read that he was hired by various companies to, you know, write an adaptation of like a Gran Turismo movie and, you know, a Highlander movie that still kind of hasn't ever gotten off the ground. So I get the sense that he works quite a bit, but just stuff that for some reason or another hasn't really made it to development yet. So. Yeah, I think plenty of creative people that kind of do their own can, can kind of do their own to a point at least like that, like like screenplay writing would be, you know, would have a lot of extra material that they've gone through and gotten gotten practice in really is what, you know. Yeah, and if they're adapting I, I, something, I can't imagine it would take like as long as writing something original. Oh, no, that's true. So you're just pulling and changing it. So you probably can crank out several of them a year. So he's mm-hmm. you just got like a backlog of things like, yeah, I wrote this. Yeah, it's not going anywhere, but it was fun, you know. It's a good way to keep my mind occupied. And, you know, maybe every now and then it will get picked up. Um, you guys got anything else on our uh, lineup of heroes here? Nope. No, we're on to Nixon. Yeah. Elected for the third time. <laughs> and how is that possible? Scary. It took me forever to figure out how we were being shown Nixon being elected for his third term. Um, because I assumed this was 1985. Just because of the, you know, knowing that the book is set in 1985 and this seems to be uh, more of a, a modern vignette that we're seeing now here close to the end. Um, I finally realized that this isn't the 1984 election. It would be the 76. So in the book, Nixon was elected five to five terms. So 68 and 72, which uh, match our timeline. Then apparently the 22nd Amendment was repealed, which limits, uh, you know, terms you can serve. And then the uh, his third, fourth, and fifth elections would have been 1976, 80, and 84. So um, math-wise, it checks out, but yeah, it confused the hell out of me uh, early on, just, you know, thinking this was 85 and that he was still on his third term, uh, so... Well, just from a narrative perspective, I mean, it, it, since 85 is where the movie picks up, this has got to be like at the beginning of the unrest and all the like the, the backlash of the heroes. And right. so there's got to be a yes. good length of time to fall and to for them to get as kind of like bitter and like, you know, washed up as they were. And, you know, everyone sort of yeah. like is in hiding and hung up their their capes and their costumes and stuff. So, you know, yeah. you got to have that nice eight or nine year period to where, um, yeah, you can you can let it sort of like foment and fester a little bit yeah yeah so basically the riots we're seeing here um would have been around the time of the keen act that we'll find out have we already talked about that i can't remember did did, did they talk about that in the uh, mclaughlin group i think it might have been mentioned but okay. i don't think we had a so, i don't think they mentioned a year maybe okay. at that point so, uh, so yeah this would have been yeah like i said in that 19 19- 76 election and i believe the heroes were outlawed in 77 so this is around the time when it's really the powder keg is really close to igniting so i mean the only, the only things is, is, is we're zooming out from the tv yeah that end up being behind you know in, in in a storefront um which on that storefront window itself that's a, a guy is uh spray painting the the words vigilantes outlawed oh, wait is that no no i'm sorry <laughs> no this who is watch the watchman yeah but it's who watches the watch. The yeah, he's not quite there <laughs> it's yet. All, it's all real, really weirdly spaced out. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Super stylized. Yeah. Yeah. One of the uh, TV screens yeah, has a big it. red X that says "Vigilantes Outlawed," and then yeah, um, I, one of the other TVs I like shows the uh, 
has a like new sticker on it and the TV itself has an image of the scientists moving the doomsday clock to 10 minutes to midnight as uh as it looks like Nixon is, you know, being elected. So I don't know if uh, they've moved it up in direct relation to Nixon's you know, continued presidency, but I, I mean, have to I assume can, I can, that they're connected. I, I can see that happening, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, to be at 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, those those good old days of being 10 full minutes away. So half past? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Let's see what else. And, yeah, on one of the other TVs, we see that the term limits have been repealed, so this must be a fairly recent thing. Um, in order for Nixon to have been elected. So, yeah. Um, let's see. We got anything else? I'm yeah. good. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm tapped out. So do we want to ask uh, George about uh, just your stuff you do? Yeah, about your show. and. Oh. Well, I have a minute podcast, minute by minute podcast, uh, the Mogwai Minute. We talk about gremlins one minute at a time. And we finished the original, um, the 84 um, classic christmas movie ho 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 yeah. um yeah so we've done with that we're in a hiatus right now working on some sort of one-offs based on some of our favorite 80s action movies uh we've dropped uh one of those i'm looking to drop maybe another one maybe maybe friday actually um I, we're sort of up in the air as far as uh scheduling goes right now we're just kind of playing it by ear and then we're looking to get it started back up uh for the sequel in the beginning of the year we'll, we'll, we'll record obviously before then but we will we'll start dropping them to probably march or so so that's just in a couple of weeks from now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Depending on when you guys release this. Yeah. Depending on when you're listening, not to date the podcast, yeah. but yeah. We are backlogging. That's that's our plan. <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Today yeah, is. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Maintain the illusion. <laughs> that's right. Um, so yeah, I think that'll do it for minute 11. Um, if you want to join the conversation, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Watchman Minute. I guess we will talk to you on Tuesday for Minute 12 of Watchmen. So who watches the Watchmen? We, we do. do. One, One minute, minute at, at a time. time. Watchmen are over. Your time to you is worth saving. And you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone. Or the time.